Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. We are Hannah and Kelty. We're really happy to be here. We're from Upbringing. So we're a podcast and we're a um, community platform on Instagram. We're parent coaches. We What else do we call ourselves? Tired ladies. Tired ladies, tall ladies, moms, <laughs> twins, <laughs> yep, sisters. Um, and we like talking about the hard stuff and why it's the good stuff. We like talking about kids challenging behaviors and big feelings and ways that we can kind of show up and grow up for what we call sanity and social change. Yeah. So our coaching and our Instagram community and um, our print goods and whatnot all kind of revolve around how we can turn conventional discipline on its head and choose powers beyond control in our day-to-day challenges with our kids um, so that we can enact that, that sanity and social change, get Mm -hmm. through the day, but also raise a different human. That's the idea. Ah, I just love this. So uh, I know that the people who listen to my podcast will recognize your names just because I, I reference you guys. I reference stuff I've learned from you. I feel like I dole out your Instagram account, any chance I get to anybody. Uh, um, it's something that I feel, um, during the, or during the pandemic, I was kind of new to all this stuff, but I was you know locked at home essentially with a two-year-old who I knew was different and finding you and your account was just an absolute lifesaver for me. I felt like it was just incredible. And, and it totally sparked something inside of me that I didn't even know existed. I found community with you. Um, I felt like I finally stopped blaming myself for having a child that was on a different path. Um, and so I'm just so excited to share your, your message with everybody and kind of what you're doing. And not only that, but I think anybody, even if you don't have the strong-willed child or the sensitive child, I think that there's just so much richness to what you're offering because I know you offer, um, like you mentioned, about sanity and social change. And those are two things that anybody should be able to relate to, whether or not your child is on the sensitive or uh, strong-willed spectrum. So um, I guess maybe let's like dive into that. What does that even mean to you about um, you know, pand- uh, parenting for sanity and social change? Can you just talk to that for a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for that introduction and for mm-hmm. the insight, Amy, into your journey a little bit. And, and we're just, we're such fans of yours. And I, and I love that you talk about, you know, parenting a child that's on a different path than what you thought they were on and how the beauty of that is that they get to drag us or invite us along <laughs> uh, a different path as well as parents and a, a path that we, we probably wouldn't be going on as far as personal growth goes, as far as family and breaking intergenerational cycles. And as far as 
um, creating a different kind of world through the child that we're raising. So, so many aspects of that, that different path is really, um, kind of amazing and seeing that as a, a gift and an opportunity rather than a curse, right. Which I think is really yes. easy. <laughs> and I think that's why Kelty and I focused our work on saying, identifying sanity and social change, because I think a lot of the parenting stuff that's out there or that we at least were, um, around early on in our parenting was really about, um, building the perfect child, you know, constructing this perfect child and really, you know, pushing their development and getting them to be this kind of like specimen. And, or it was like, just manage and fix these problem behaviors. So as the kid got older, and I think something that we really recognized was yes, a, a lot of the reasons we parent and a lot of the reasons we seek support in our parenting, because we're not supposed to know any of this. None of us was trained in this is because we want to get through the day right? So that's the sanity portion. We want to just make it through. Um, but the social change aspect is a little bit more, uh, you know, less about the present moment and more about thinking long-term, right? So rather than thinking just long-term of, I want a child who's going to become an adult, who's happy and successful and healthy. We're also thinking, gosh, we're really privileged people. What else is there that we would want to be supporting in our child? And, and by raising a child in this way and engaging in a family culture in this way, that can really make change, right? Especially when we think, what can we do right now, right? Kel, I feel like you always bring that up. <clears throat> yeah, and I think so much of, of the kind of sanity and social change is about alignment. And I think that, like you said, Han, none of us was, was taught any of this. And I think a lot of what we were taught through our cultural conditioning, through our own childhoods, through media and all of the things is to go about parenting, especially in those hard moments in a way that we think will get us to the goal of raising a respectful human, um, raising an obedient human, um, raising a human who's going to be compassionate, um, have some social awareness um, and some social consciousness moving into the world, a sense of um, respect for diversity, all of these things. And, and I think what the big awakening for us is saying, we're going about it the wrong way, right? So it turns out there's lots of research now in parenting. And if we're, if we're wanting to raise a respectful human, we don't punish and spank to get that respectful human, right? We don't yell to get that respectful human, right? We don't send those little humans to their room to teach them how to be a respectful human. We, and we can't raise a respectful human by being a disrespectful parent. Yeah, what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been a big turnaround for us and quite the adventure um, with our community, especially people like you, Amy, who are so into it and just get it so much, um, to kind of be like you said, hand turning it all on its head and just seeing, seeing what we can be doing, um, and accomplishing going about it a bit of a different way. Yes. I think that's such an incredible point. And I remember so vividly because right around the beginning of the pandemic, you know, March of 2020, you know, a few months later with everything with George Floyd and everything that happened and is happening in the black lives matter movement. And I remember sitting at home, you know, with nothing but time on my hands and just thinking, what can I actually be doing right now? And that was another thing that I think when I, when I found your podcast and hearing about the social change aspect and realizing that there's a total connection there, you, you know, like you said, you can't teach your child by power over and teach them. You have to listen to me because I'm bigger and stronger than you. And then expect, especially my, my white male privileged son to grow up and then be respectful and not use those same powers when he is able. And so I think that is just was such a mind blowing, um, you know, revelation for me personally. And I think it will be for the listeners um, as well, that it totally relates. And, and I, and I love hearing you, you talk about these things because you talk about the long game and 
that means that, you know, in the moment, is it going to look like this perfect quote, obedient, quote, good child? Probably not, but you're working with the child you have to develop skills for the long haul and to raise a productive and respectful member of society that's going to fight for those noble causes later in life. And it's not just about, you know, having manners at the dinner table or, or whatever, you know, there's a, there's a bigger, um, you know, thing at play here. And I, and I always say, to anyone that will listen that, you know, parenting is, is really an act of resistance and an act of, you know, um, I don't know, like just, just rebellion in a way to raising a new generation. And I think that it's so much bigger than just the children in our home and the, and just our families, it's, it's a whole movement. And I think that that's why your cause is just so important to me because I think it just, like I said, it, it affects everybody. And I think it's, it is hard when you have that kid that just test every limit. And I know, you know what I'm talking about. And for my listeners who don't know, I've been involved in three now of, um, Hannah and Kelty's, uh, strong-willed children's clubs. Um, and I just think it's like, I can't get enough because I have this child that every step of the way is just, you know, resisting, resisting, resisting. And it's hard as hell but it's so rich. And so I think you obviously know a little bit more personally, cause you've heard some of my personal struggles, <laughs> um, with, with my son Vaughn, but, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about what I know your approach is called the resist approach. And there's a lot of people out there. This is the first time they're hearing about the resist approach. So what is the resist approach? When do we use it? Why do we use it? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, resistance is, is seen in parenting as the obstacle to, to successful child rearing to that sanity, to that social change. And so a lot of folks are asking us, I love this idea, this alignment between our values and our practices. Okay. So how, when, where all of those things. And we say, follow the resistance that the resistance is the roadmap. So when our kids resist us, that is an opportunity for us to stop and acknowledge and become aware of the power and privilege that we're exerting over someone with less power and privilege and hold and pause and realize that these moments of our kids' resistance are not just a hiccup in our day. They're not unnecessary. They're not worrisome. They're not something we want to stop or fix or punish. They're actually incredibly valuable information and opportunities to lean in with some connection and other skills, those powers beyond control that we mentioned to, to raise that different human, to do it a different way. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have the resist approach, which is the model. So then when, when folks understand that, okay, resistance is good. Resistance is good. There's a lot of like reprogramming (laughs) all of us are needing to do, um, mantras, right. Then we're like, okay, but okay, it's good. But what the fuck do I do? Like, how do I I apply this? Or like in the moment when I want to lose my shit, how do I remember and, and control myself enough to respect the resistance? Right. (laughs) Exactly. And so I think that's what we created was when we seek to control our kid, we want to resist the urge, the instinct, the conditioning to, to do that and to perpetuate that, right. To condition them to either think uh, being controlled as normal or to think that controlling another person is normal. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not okay. So that that's how we designed the, the model around it. Yeah. And I love what you said too, Amy, just about how we're sort of unwittingly perpetuating this, this patriarchy and truly to racism through the way that we parent, even with these great ideals of this person we want to um, be raising. And I think it's because we've, we've learned that 
in order to teach a little human being, we need to be very explicit. So we talk about the things they need to do and stop doing instead of tuning into themselves and listening to who they are and what they're needing. So as opposed to having those big, loud outer conversations in the hierarchical relationship between parent and child top down, we're trying to have those inner conversations for our, for our child side by side with them. And as opposed to teaching things so explicitly through commands, through domination, through even words, often we're, we're working on teaching our kids implicitly with this idea that the way we teach our kids is what they learn. Like Hannah said, if we're teaching our kids through consequences on my terms, now threats, rewards, overpower, lecture, shame, blame, spanking, yelling, whatever it is, that's what they're learning about conflict. That's what they're learning about who they are and their sense of belonging and worthiness. That's what they're learning about needs and differences between needs. That's what they're learning about our relationship, that it feels shitty and it's not good when we can't control our impulses um, with those little growing brains. And so I think the resist approach is sort of the counter to that. So it's respect, empathize, sync up, innovate, summarize, and trust. And it's just a loose six-step model to kind of help us, like Hannah said, key into that respectful interaction with our kids and to be resisting that control toolbox that comes so naturally. Mm -hmm. And I want to say too, that it's, we, we made up the resist model, but it's based in research and it's based in, in therapeutic practices that already exist and have existed for a very long time. They're just not as common in the parenting sphere, in the parenting arena. Most of us just go by instinct. We go by what we learned as kids. We go by what we see on TV. And that's why we're perpetuating the control approach. It's very easy to do that. Mm -hmm. So we always say it's easy to do that. It's natural that we do that. There's no shame. There's no blame. Mm -hmm. But when we actually think about the consequences of using that control toolbox, we think, oh, that's not actually ideal based on the values I have. Um, and the child I want to raise and the family culture I want to cultivate. So that's what the resist approach is, is based in nonviolent communication. It's what therapists use it's based what, in consent, based in consent, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's based in, um, in, in all the child development research about how kids learn and how human beings can interact with one another to get shit done. It's not just this kind of permissive ideology where it's just like, just let everything go and just fall into chaos. I think a lot of folks can get really scared about it and be like, this sounds really decent. A lot of partners say that. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things, like you said, you know, I'll use myself as an example. Growing up, I have very loving parents, but yeah, I was, it was a more of a conventional, you know, old school authority, authority model where, you know, did they spank? Yeah. On occasion, but, um, and I think we've kind of grown a, our generation is like, we kind of thought that that was okay. Cause that's how we were raised obviously until you sit down and question that. And then I think if you don't try to actively, um, counteract that in your parenting and really stop and think about it, like you said, you just kind of repeat those cycles. And like, so when you're triggered, your first thing is like, I need to smack my kid because that's, that's what gets them to stop right now, stop that behavior. And I think the challenge then is you know, when you're transforming out of that, it's going to look like everything's out of control because you were used to, let's say, if if you were someone, I'm I'm imagining people out there listening, maybe you're somebody who's done that in the past. Maybe you're somebody who wants to be different and you don't know how to change. And you're thinking, okay, well, if I don't spank them, then they're just going to keep doing the thing. And then that means they're quote bad. That means this quote isn't working, you know? And I think, it feels out of control when you're making that transition, you know, when in reality, like you said, you're playing a long game here. It's not about getting this behavior to stop right in that moment. Right. I think it's more about 
like you said, connecting, developing the consent, all of those kind of things. Like, can you talk to those people that are like, Hey, I really want to make a change, but every time I try to do this, it feels out of control. This doesn't seem to be working and Mm -hmm. also, okay, I want to change, but like, how can I just do that? I feel shameful because my kid's seven or something, and I've done this for seven years, but I'm just going to stop right now. Can you talk a little bit about maybe that transition away and how to kind of pivot or, or ways to look at it differently for those people? Yeah, totally. Um, that's something that a lot of coaching folks we've worked with have said, like just thinking about this new approach, it's like taking the ground right out from under me. Like, I feel like I have nothing now. And I think that that's a really vulnerable place to be. And it's a really good place to be, to sit in that discomfort for a little bit and feel powerless and recognize that feeling of helplessness and powerlessness. I think those are all okay feelings. And I think ultimately all of us control our kids or dominate our kids because we already feel that helpless and powerless, not because we're strong beyond measure, not because we're powerful, but because we feel helpless and we don't know what else to do. So I think it's okay to embrace that a little bit to say, I'm not powerful. I don't know everything. That's okay. That's the, that's a great place to begin. Yeah. And when we can give everyone permission to be like, we're not supposed to know it. We're not supposed to be perfect. It's okay that this is happening. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your child. I think that so much about this is helping folks realize that they have been done wrong by their culture. And, and, and even their upbringing, which is hard to acknowledge for a lot of folks too, but even just the culture, if we can get mad at our culture, I think that can be a really great place to start and saying, look at what my culture is telling me. My culture is so behaviorist focused, what you do, what you don't do. It's all about socialization. It's all about good behavior. And I think when we can work with folks to say, look at your feminist values, look how pissed you get when men tell you to smile or think they can touch your body or, um, you know, pay you less than someone else or all of these things get mad about that. Let's apply that same, um, energy to this parenting dynamic, because I think starting with the beliefs is the most important thing. Even if you're still yelling at your kid, you're still doing the timeouts, you're still doing the stuff. This is an ongoing process. Like you said, Amy, it's progress over perfection. It's a daily practice of letting go. And I think Mm -hmm. the beliefs are the most important thing to be thinking about and kind of working through a little bit, realizing and starting to truly believe that you can go from a behaviorist model and you can move to a relationship model and that that's not permissive, it's productive, that that's actually the most effective way to raise a child and to show up authentically as a human. It takes a lot of trust. And so it doesn't, you know, flip for people right away, Mm -hmm. but I think just thinking about it and immersing yourself in these ideas Mm -hmm. can be really helpful. Yeah. And I think some thing that we say to people when we're coaching that gives them the most sense of relief in these moments is it's okay that they're yelling. It's okay that they're not listening to you. It's okay that they're hurting the cat or the baby and really normalizing the something that we've never heard before growing up. It's all okay. It's all supposed to happen. It's all right. All of it is good. And people just look at us like, really? It's Okay. <laughs> Can you tell me again that it's okay? Yes. That's the main belief that we have is that it's wrong. And when we believe that it's wrong, then we want to go to shut it down. And when we want to shut it down, we turn into the police and the referee and the judge and the jury and the hall monitor and a crazy person that we don't like being. And it sucks. And then our kids feel like they're wrong, right? And they feel like they can't control themselves and they feel like they can't keep their family happy or make good choices. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can just begin with that belief that 
everything our kids are doing is okay. That helps us lean in with different eyes, with a different lens, with a, with a different heart towards engaging with that in a connective relationship-based way. That I can't, I, there were so many ahas. I wish like, I don't know. I wish I had some kind of way to like translate my brain in this moment. Cause it was like, yes, this and that, and this, and that, like, I just, every time I listen to you guys, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And also, yes. Um, so yeah, basically I, I, I had this kind of vision when you were talking about that last point, um, everything's a cycle, right? So what you're doing is when you feel powerless it activates something that probably you developed in your own childhood of feeling wrong and feeling bad. So all of a sudden, when your kid challenges you, you need to exert that power because you're feeling like this is bad. This is wrong. I know for me, I like so often I mentioned this, I think it was in my first or second um, podcast episode um, about hearing that, like, that, like I say, it's like a fat white man on my shoulder, but it can be anybody, but that kind of thing, barking in your ear, like get control of this. Like, this is not okay. This needs to stop. You are letting this happen. Bad, 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 shame, 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 which is probably something that you felt as a kid when you were being disciplined that way, when someone wasn't connecting with you. So then all of a sudden you have kids and they trigger that in you because they're not listening. And, and the richness of raising that strong-willed child it's like, I know with my son, I don't have a freaking choice. Like he's not going to do like th that old school model straight up doesn't work. I mean, I've had to go in the moment, just like get really down to the nitty gritty of like, does this actually matter? Is this something that really needs to happen? Like, you know, or just letting the natural consequences play out. Why do I need to prove to him right now in this moment that I'm right? I don't. Why can't I just let him figure it out? And like you said, be there as that sensitive, you know, supporting parent or friend or wing person, like you guys say sometimes when things all fall apart. And that's when you're going to find that richness in your relationship and hopefully break that cycle. So he doesn't grow up with a child that felt the weight of the world on his shoulders when he was quote being bad and then grow up and take that out on somebody else, like his coworkers, his children, his spouse one day. Like, it's just, I just, I mean, I have full body goosebumps. It's such a, uh, a cyclical thing that we can all be, like you said, progress over perfection. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and it's all going to be perfect. But if we can start to implement these little shifts, it's like, if everyone could do that, the world would just, I mean, imagine, imagine what could happen. You know, it's just so powerful. I think you like totally key in Amy on that, the voice. So I think so much, and that's a great starting place is just becoming aware of the voice in your head. What is this voice saying? And Mine says unacceptable. <laughs> Mine mm, says right. not again, or this is ridiculous. Right. This yeah. Ridiculous. I think for me, it's like, it's like, um, like you're letting this happen, like get control, like kind of yeah. thing. Like this is out of control and you need to be in charge. Right. Well, and then realizing these voices are not our voices. Mm -hmm. These voices are the inherited voices that have been passed down generation upon generation upon generation. Mm -hmm. And realizing that, I think we, we realize this when, like you said, Amy, it doesn't feel good to say those things and think those things, which for most of us, it doesn't. 
And when it also doesn't freaking work on our yeah. sensitive and strong-willed kids, mm-hmm. when you're just like, oh my God, this feels like shit. And it's not even effective. Like, what am I thinking and saying? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think so much about that is replacing that, that inner voice that we have. And so that's why so much of Kelty and my work is about helpful phrasing and mental mantras. It's replacing the inner voice that we have with our mantras. And it's replacing the external voice we have with our kids to say, we can think and say new things to ourselves and to them. And just those words can be such a good starting place because we don't necessarily know what to do each time. We're going to be kind of fumbling and failing forward all the way through this. But if we can even just start rephrasing what we say to ourselves and what we say to our kids, Mm -hmm. that's a really huge start. Yeah. And because our voice then becomes their inner voice. And right. then their inner voice becomes their outer voice to other people. And it will continue to get passed down. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we could boil that down to just one inner and outer phrase, it would be, what am I needing? And it would be, what are you needing? Like, that's it. That is the most basic thing. It is the, the number one skill, number one question that no one ever taught us to be asking. And the number one solution to any conflict is figuring out what you're needing and connecting with the other person about what they're needing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like the keys to the kingdom. And it's not like there's a a straight up answer there, like served on a platter to you every single time. But I think the the moments that I lose it with my kids are the moments that I I don't know what I'm needing. And I'm so compromised that I can't get there. And you can't attend to what your kid's needing either. Mm -hmm. And how productive is that when Mm -hmm. we just go to judgments and control and all of those things, mm-hmm. no growing happens that we want to be happening in those moments. And, and that's what that, what am I needing? What are you needing thing is it's based in curiosity. It's based in open-mindedness. It's based in, um, collaboration. It's based in an in investigation. It changes the whole, and it dynamic. just cuts through the crap. Yeah. Um, you know, really. And I think the more you, I know, at least for me and in, in this work, and for, like I said, I'm relatively new to finding you. So for, in the two years almost that I've been listening, it's like the more I've done that and thought that when I'm losing my shit, um, it, I get better at doing it earlier. Mm-hmm. So now and not saying that we still don't have meltdowns, we still don't have, you know, I'm I always joke that I am chronically overwhelmed and my child is chronically overwhelming. So it's like this, this is our dynamic pretty much all day, every day. But um, so, yeah, I mean, there's times where I let myself get to that point, but I think the, the more I get used to that, that framework of what am I needing? Okay. What is he needing? And I think, you know, he's four, so I can actually ask him, what are you needing right now? You know, instead of trying to like, again, it goes back to like feeling like I have all the answers. I mean, he's, he's a child that has, his own wants and needs and can verbalize or show me, I just have to be tuned in. But before that, I have to know where I'm at with my self reg so I can show up for him. But the more I do that questioning, I find myself doing it earlier. Like, Ooh, I'm feeling like today I'm a little bit this, or I'm a little bit that, or I've noticed that he might be needing a little more for me today. So maybe I should be closer by, or it's like getting kind of out ahead of it too, which I think really helps, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's the more I do that work and the more I have that mantra. And then I feel like this is a perfect kind of transition because I had someone actually write in a question um, to ask you specifically. And I wrote it down. Um, and it's kind of just, I personally think it's about this completely. Um, she wrote, how do we keep our inner peace when your child enters a new phase of fear, anger, or outburst, 
especially when you are entering a new phase of your life, like a new job, a loss, or a big change. And I know that this particular listener, because I've spoken with her through DM, um, has gone through both um, a job change and she just lost a parent. So that child's grandparent. So I think it kind of goes again, like into that, what am I needing? What are they needing? How can we, you know, move through our day with all these big things happening. So is there like kind of some advice you could give for that question? Yeah. I love that question. Mm -hmm. How do you keep your inner peace when you're in the throes of something, your child's in the throes of something, everyone's changing and growing and yeah, stormy weather. Something that we were just talking about yesterday with a coaching client whose mother-in-law passed away and whose children are really struggling with it too, is I think that we, we try to give everyone a pass. And that's like the new family mantra is we're all struggling. And we're all doing the best we can. And I think the more we can say that and the more we can feel that and the more we can embody that, the more we can make that a mental mantra, remind ourselves, we're all struggling. We're all doing the best we can. And we're all going to try to give each other a pass. I think it's something that we experienced when we had a lot of uh, grief in our family around and having new babies around the same time was everyone's doing themselves. Hannah's doing Hannah, Kelty's doing Kelty, baby's doing baby, as in like everyone is doing what they need to survive, even if it looks terrible, even if it sounds terrible. It's just, I mean, that's that's such yeah. a huge opportunity to really say, I cannot be living my life in the, with this behavioral lens. I have to be living my life through a relationship lens. And I think that when we live it through a behavioral lens, we want to control everybody and everything right? And when we live it through a relationship lens, we let go and we say, what can I control? That's not another human being and impossible to control. Mm -hmm. You know, what can I control? That's not a relationship that I really care about that I could be doing some damage to. And so I think so much about this, when we work on this with ourselves and with, with coaching folks is saying, what can we be working on and innovating? And what do we have to just let go? And I think starting with a list is one of those things. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that, that I can actually be doing? Can I change up my environment a little bit? Can I get rid of a bunch of crap that I keep having to clean up? Can I change up a routine? Can I get a little bit of help from somebody? Can I figure out my own self-care routine? So my capacity is a little bit higher. Can I be doing all of this? What Kelsey and I call behind the scenes work, which is really relationship-based because it's allowing relationships to thrive rather than projecting all of our stress onto a little person who is doing the best that they can. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we work on routine rhythms, environment, you know, support, uh, self-care, those types of things, we're able to just take the pressure off and connect a little bit more with our kids and see to their needs. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I I love that idea. It's a great reminder for anyone, even if they're not going through a huge transition or their child's not either to just ask, what can I let go of? How can I reduce the stress on everyone? You know, like you said, questioning yourself, not doubting yourself, but questioning, can we, you know, let, let the jacket thing go. Can we like let the, their bedroom get really dirty? I mean, like really, really dirty. I, I cleaned out my kids today with minimal help, but it, I had not done a full dig out for like maybe three months. It was just like every corner full of trash toys, stuffies, right, half it- projects. Cause I just had to just be like, that room is that room for your mental health, for my for mental health. It is in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I think like that- cleaning house, like you said, I mean, cleaning out stuff, but like in a way, mentally you're cleaning out your own stuff by letting that shit go because then mm-hmm. yeah, you have more room, or at least for me, I know I have more room in my brain and my empathy tank <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to try to offer my son. Because if I, if I try to control all of that, I don't have 
any of that left. Like I, I literally have to let this stuff go so that I can find some inner peace. So yeah, you might be like, and maybe it's like, you know, cleaning externally helps you internally, whatever it is that you can do behind the scenes. But like you said, finding that grace of just like getting down to the, to the nitty gritty, like what actually has to happen here? Like, and, and also realizing that sometimes, um, not being productive, quote unquote, um, in like a binary sense, um, is being productive. Like maybe tending to your needs. Like I'm thinking about this, this mom who's going through a loss of, of, you know, a parent. And it's like, maybe just that day, your capacity is different and like letting that go. And, and like you said, realizing that your child might need a little bit more empathy, maybe those outbursts, like being more empathetic, like not holding yourself to a standard when your life looked completely different than it does right this second, maybe. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that too. I think something, another thing we tell folks a lot, which can feel like just a huge permission is that we can't always, especially when we're under an incredible amount of pressure and struggling and our kids are too, we struggle to show up in the moment exactly how we want. And we can really often put so much shame on ourselves or on our kids. And I think giving parents the permission to teach outside the moment with their kids and to work on that relationship outside the moment can be really, really helpful to hear. Mm -hmm. You can just show up in a moment and you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to explain anything. You don't have to process anything. You don't have to teach anything. Most of the time when everyone's struggling, no, no learning can even be happening. So just let it go Mm -hmm. and keep everybody safe and move on. And you can always process later. You can repair and apologize. Mm -hmm. You can innovate, get curious. You can collaborate for next time. Mm -hmm. There will be moments when you're a little calmer and when your kid's calmer, but taking all that pressure off in the moment, which we put on ourselves, we catastrophize and just add so much saying it's okay. We can, we can do it later. Yeah. And if we can't, and we yell and lose our shit or punish our kids or don't show up in a way that we want, that's okay too. And I think that as parents asking for, how do you keep that peaceful mindset or where does that peace come from? And for me, my daily peace comes from that circle back conversation at the end of the day with my kids. And I know you talk about this too, on the podcast, Amy, Mm -hmm. but like that is my superpower is the moment of connection when neither of us is struggling when I can, we can say, like I said before, we're struggling lately, or this time's really hard, or I miss grandma, or, you know, this new school thing is new and, and that's tricky. And really just sit in that vulnerability with our kid and mention all the things that make us extra stressed, that make us worried, that make us scared and not say it in a scary way to like pull out all these like demons for our kid. <laughs> Right at bedtime, but really, if they exist, they're there. Call them out. They're baby. already there, right? I, and if, if we can say it in a loving way to normalize and just be like, "Oh, I've noticed school's harder. Oh, I've noticed we're crying a lot more than usual. Oh, that's that's okay." And what you we would want our partners just do mm-hmm. with us when we get in bed, be like, like, "Don't pretend nothing's happening, dude." Right? please just call out how freaking hard this is and that I'm doing a good job and that we're going to get through it together and that you still love me even when I'm a super bitch, Mm -hmm. right? That's what we can be giving our kids as well. That's Mm -hmm. how we all, you know, survive and even thrive through. That's how we wake up the next morning thinking it'll go differently, even though it doesn't. Right. (laughs) Circle back at night and just keep waking up. (laughs) I have to say though, like, I think there's something to that where like, I don't know where along the lines us, you know, as parents and adults, it's like, we feel like, okay, if like, we just go really quietly and no one talks about the shit, it won't happen. Or like, it's, it's like, they're not going to notice. And here's the thing is, I think, especially when we're talking about strong-willed and sensitive children, they notice 
everything. Like my, like my son notices, I mean, the smallest detail, like good luck getting anything by him. And he remembers it for years. So like literally good luck. And I just think about, and this is a personal kind of segue for me. This was when I was a, uh, a teenager, but I, my older brother passed away when I was a teenager and he was a teenager as well. And my parents did the best that they could. And that's a mantra that I use all the time. Everyone did the best that they could at the time. But I think at that time, and I think especially in that um, era, um, they it kind of was like that. Like, well, if we don't let them see us cry, if we keep, you know, Amy and Beth, my sister, our life complete, their life normal, then they'll just like, it'll be okay for them. And I get the mindset because you kind of want to just, ignore and be like, let's just keep pretending that everything's the same. And then that way everyone will keep doing the same thing and no one's going to be, you know, no one's going to rock the boat kind of thing. And speaking from a child that went through that and dealing with it and processing it now as a 35 year old, that doesn't do anyone any favors, like letting your child see you break down, telling them and circling back and saying, you know what, I miss them too. And I'm not perfect. And I, you know, in, in any, in any regard, it doesn't have to be about a death, but anything, just kind of showing your cards and just saying like, look, I'm in it too. And I think we all feel like, wait, no, I have to be the tough one. I have to be the strong one. I have to be the lead by example one. And there's, there's a lot of connection and beauty and showing your child that this is hard, but I'm getting through it. And here's my tools. And let me see, like, let's work on our tools together. Let me help you. Let's lean on each other. And I think that kind of is a way that your family can almost break open and rebuild in a stronger way versus like trying just to pretend like everything's normal because it's not. And, and kids sense that. And I think there's so much damage that can be done there without just saying like, I'm human too. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. And, you know, we'll get through this together. So I think that's like a huge lesson. And I think it's also like a trigger for me, but like you just said, like in just kind of showing them, like, I miss them too. Let's cry together. Can we give each other a hug? Like, and I think, you know, not putting it on your kid, but I think opening it up for that conversation and showing them, we can talk about this and you don't have to pretend. And I think that's like a really big thing, you know, a really big deal too. Thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. that. And I think oh, yeah. you identify that, that, I mean, so much of our culture is based in stoicism, mm. right. And saying, do not show vulnerability. Do not, um, just hold it together. Hold it all together. Come on. Yeah. And that's the family together. Is being brave. Being brave. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what security has been identified in is everything that will be safe and everyone will be okay. As long as no one, sh- like you said, Amy shows their cards. And I think the research is finally out. There's enough social science research and, and, um, development research that says that is not the case. That's not how human beings, um, work because we're not robots, we're humans. And I think that taking that stoicism, framework and saying, we're going to go to a humanism framework instead. And one that actually nurtures relationship and that we're still being a parent. And in fact, we're being an even better leader and more effective leader by connecting emotionally with our child. And I, I really, I think another thing that always really relieves at least us and other folks we work with is saying, we'll never be able to prevent our kids from going through trauma necessarily. Life's always going to be a struggle here or there. We can't prevent them from, from having and experiencing that, but we can help them feel secure in moving through it. And security isn't preventing things from happening all the time. It's just being present with our kids through the challenges and through those moments. And you can't do it as a stoic. You have Mm -hmm. to do it as a human. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the only way to go about it. I love that. It's a topic that comes up often when we're coaching 
parents who are having a new baby or welcoming a second or third or fourth baby for those who choose to do that. And I think often they're like, what? I can say that? And we're like, yes, you can say this baby sucks. <laughs> right, though. I mean, say that to your kid. They're like, we can say that? And we're like, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know of any parents that have added. I mean, I know very few, I'll say this, of parents that have added other children to the mix that haven't at least once thought, what the fuck did I just do? Did I mess up everything? I mean, and I, I can't relate in that way because obviously we only have one child, but um, it's, it's a common thing that I hear all the time where someone's like, oh my gosh, I just like, like you said, you can't prevent life from happening. You're like, did I mess my kid up? Am I messing up the baby? Like, did I just mess up everything? I just think there's like so much pressure. And like you just said, like you can like have those feelings, like let's work through those feelings, air it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's based in the human function that to exist and to thrive, we have to feel connected with another person. That's how humans evolve. That's how they feel good. That's how they do good. And when we're gaslighting our children or one another and saying what you're feeling, it doesn't exist in my world. It's actually okay. It's actually not that bad. It's It's actually going to be fine. No big deal. Unnecessary, right? Mm -hmm. That, that breaks off the, the connection and the growth and the human element that can really help relationships thrive. So I think mm-hmm. so much about what you're saying, Amy is saying, validate, acknowledge, mm-hmm. say yes to everything rather than no stoicism. No humanism. Yes. Except, you know, that's you the work. The, um, I think one other major, I don't say roadblock, but I guess I'll say roadblock, um, for people that are like trying to adapt this no new quote unquote mindset, um, is about the, like, they're like, okay, cool. I can do this at home. Great. Wonderful. I think there's two things. I think there's that societal pressure and like what, like, it's like, okay, that's all well and good, but like, that's not how the real world is. Or, um, that's all well and good. But like, what about when they're outside of the home? It's like, they're everyone, like I, we've talked about before, you're worried about like what everyone else is doing or how they're going to be in society. And like, do I have to be harder on them? So they like learn like how, you know, I think that's like a big question for people. And then also the, the disconnect with the caregiver. Right. So like a lot of, I know a lot of people that listen to our pet or to grow up have toddlers. So they're like, you know, they're thinking, well, like, okay, that's all well and good, but like, what about grandma? Or like, what about the way that like, they're going to teach them? And like, they think this and like, how am I going to, you know, basically how they're, they're good in their little bubble of my house and under my watch, but then what about everybody else? And I think that's like kind of that disconnect of, you know, how can we keep applying this? Mm-hmm. Oh man, such a good topic. Those I are know, both great questions. Questions. <laughs> a lot. Well, I mean, so much about it is it, mm-hmm. you're identifying it in our minds, the socialization versus self-awareness conversation. And I think when we think about our role as parents, we break it down into two things. We're supposed to socialize our kids. So teach them what to say, what to do, what to not say, what to not do. We want them to be successful socially, you know, good friends, good, good lovers, good students, good neighbors, worker bees, good worker bees, all the things it's, it's like so legit. And then our other role as parents, which is just a little bit less, um, emphasized right in our culture is the self-awareness working on the inside. So socializations on the outside that work and self-awareness is the inside work that most of us are doing right now in therapy in our thirties, right? Let's be honest. We, <laughs> we know how to behave to every single person in our lives, straight A students on all of that. 
but our own personal work, our own personal journeys, meeting our own needs, processing our own challenges. We suck at it. Let's be honest. And it's because most of our parents didn't know that there was another half of their job description, right? And so I think something we give parents permission to very often is to say, don't worry about the socialization because every other institution in our kids' lives, their church, their school, grandma and grandpa's house, um, their job eventually, you know, their friends' homes, all these other places are based in that behaviorist model, that socialization model, right? They're going to get so much conditioning and it's going to be okay. They're, they're going to act okay. They'll, they will be appropriate, generally speaking, but not at the expense of, at least in our homes, of the, the inner process the inner workings, right? And if we can be even just that one place and maybe the only place in the entire world that our child can feel like they can be themselves and work on themselves, that is one of the greatest gifts that we can give our kids. Mm -hmm. It is not to be underestimated. It's such an interesting question too. And we get it often from women saying, this is my partner's main argument is I do this because I care, which is such an understandable thing. I yell because I care. I spank them because I care. I want them to know that the, the real world is hard. And I feel in some ways that I'm preparing them for that by doing this. And in some ways I understand it. In other ways, I think it's like a terrible bullshit cop-out and it's really hard. And I think what we say is if we're thinking about our kids as a plant, we want to think about helping their roots grow really deep, not throwing them into the elements as a seedling. And I think we also think about it if we're thinking about, okay, do we want to be bringing the real world into our home to condition them for the harsh realities? Or can we think of our home as more of an incubator? where while they're here, we're growing them strong. Those roots are growing deep. They're not, not like we're like puffing them up and telling them they're perfect and wonderful. And that we live in this little haven where no conflict happens. That's unrealistic and not true, but saying, can we be focusing on relationship, on connection, on their inner wisdom and authority? That's actually going to be giving them the skills to move through those challenges that are out in society at grandma's house, at the neighbor's house, or wherever it is with, with a really beautiful strength and authenticity that they won't have if we're putting those pressures on them at home as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about change makers. If we want to ra- mm-hmm. raise the change makers in society, we, we, they have to have a very strong sense of self and a, 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 a like really critical level of self-awareness and ability to meet their own needs. Because when you think about it, we can't expect our kids to meet other people's needs and be that respectful, upstanding citizen doing all this work if they don't know how to meet their own needs first. So the priority is saying, how can I help my kid understand them, their needs and meet their needs? right? So understanding is the inner wisdom and meeting the needs is the inner authority that says I can go out and do anything. And when kids needs are met or adults needs are met, we know when we feel better, we do better. When we feel better, we can actually give a shit about our kids or our partner or our friends or our neighbors. Right. Mm -hmm. But it starts with the, the, the person from the inside out, not the outside in. And so that's a really big misconception in parenting that we are constantly trying to override and convince people about It's Such Mm -hmm. a great topic. Yeah, I feel like that's that is one of the, if not the top, I want to say fight because it's not a fight, but like um, disagreement with, well, I get this kind of thing, but, and that's like the first thing that comes up for people. And I think you're right. And I think, you know, of course, people in our generation are going to think that way because we were raised that way. Like, I'm a people pleaser. Like, I get it. Like, I was raised to kind of, how is this making somebody else feel before? Like, how do I feel about it? You know, and like you said, now I'm 35 and in therapy. So it makes total sense. Um, And I love the way that you said there's two jobs for the parents. Like, we, you know, there's the inside job, nurturing the inside. And then there's the societal, you know, the social um, aspect to it. And I think 
you're right. Like we are trying to build a foundation, you know, before we're worried about everything else. The world is going to keep delivering bullshit because that's what it does best. And we have to make sure that, you know, our child is ready emotionally to handle that, you know, and especially those strong-willed and sensitive kids, you know, they're extra sensitive. They feel it so deeply. So having a spot to come, to come home and feel heard and be truly seen and what that does for a person um, and I love, uh, Kelty's analogy with the, the plant. And I also like in that moment had just a total new, like uh, business thing for you that you need to make a, a book of just Kelty, like visual analogies about <laughs> because like I, all the time, like I, I've, I mean, I think about like, we, I think there was one about like the drunk friend and like being the wing person for your child, like you would for your drunk friend, the wedge like, on the fence. Oh, uh-huh. there's like Bob and what was it? Um, like nod and melt or like something like about like oh, the downshifting. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> like and I know anyone who doesn't listen maybe to your stuff yet will be like, what the hell are they talking about? Oh, you visual learners out there. Oh, I am nothing. I am the most visual, and so when you say things, I'm just like, yes, like that. I like, and it's like I don't even. I might forget what it was about, but when I picture it, I'm like, oh yeah, that thing, like I, the plant, right? The roots, like, it's so funny. So hopefully anyone who's out there is getting that, but that should be maybe another guide to put on your thing. Like just picture models of parenting things though. So, oh my God. Um, if, if we, we could, if we could illustrate, time. if we, oh my gosh, seriously. It's, I mean, it's gold. <laughs> I know. And I love that you're talking about having those more sensitive or neurodivergent or strong-willed kids and how often in our culture, those kids are gone even harder on to prepare them for the outer world. And I think that, I think instead of using the word prepare, which is so easy for us to use, I think we can, we can be thinking about what are we conditioning them to believe is normal. So if we can make our house that incubator that says, here's how we treat people here, you know, parent to child, let's be honest. Here's what our goals are. Here's what relationship feels like. Here's, here's what consent means here's what all of these things mean, then we're really conditioning our kids to think this is, this is the ideal. And then when they go out into the world, they're, they're able to say, this isn't feeling so ideal with this girlfriend, or this isn't feeling so ideal with this boss, or this isn't feeling so ideal with this teacher. They can attract and repel appropriately mm-hmm. and healthily. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so much about it is, is less preparation and is more about conditioning them to know what they deserve and what others deserve. And that doesn't come from the ways that our kids are acting or behaving. It comes from the ways that we show up because we're their number one teachers by the way that we move through the world. Oh gosh. I, I just, I just want to like live inside of a conversation with you guys. Like I just, every time we listen to your lives, every time I'm in your spirited kids club, like I just, I don't know. It's just such a, like, it makes so much sense. It just feels to me, it just feels so good. And it's like, wow, this is, it just feels like I said earlier, so powerful, so much bigger than just, you know, just you and your child, even though that's obviously a huge, important job, but it just, when you, if everyone was just doing this and nurturing, like you said, the roots, it's like what we could do as a collective, it would just be so magical. And so I just think the work you're, you are doing is I can't say enough good things and I can't direct enough people to you. I'm like, Oh, you have a problem. You need to, you need to follow up bringing. I mean, like, obviously that's, that's the answer. So um, I know that people are going to hear this. They're going to want more, just like I'm talking about, like the resist approach, all of that stuff. I know that you have your website and you have a ton of guides on your website. Do you want to talk about just quickly before we get off, 
you know, what's on there, what you offer, where they can find you. I know you do your question and answers. You have your baby course. Like, can you just talk about what people can get from you and where they can find it? Sure. I mean, on the podcast, we basically take our live Q and A's from our Instagram account, those videos, um, about an hour long where we just take maybe like five to 15 questions. And we just kind of riff about people's kids, challenging behaviors and big feelings. So that gets segued straight to the podcast, but it might be shifting a little bit moving forward. Um, yeah. And then also on Instagram, we have a lot of side-by-sides and helpful scripts or mantras, um, quotes, uh, things like that on our website, which is upbringing.co. We, you can check out our one-on-one coaching, our small group coaching, which is the strong will and sensitive kids club, which has been so much fun to, to be running and having you in there the third time was like, yes. made, made our day. We can do it without Amy. I think she's just going to have to be uh-huh. in all of them. Right. <laughs> You're a fixture. Yes. Don't tempt me with a good time. I will be there. <laughs> I got Tom to come on one, which was incredible. That was cool. Like I got him on a podcast episode a couple, I think it was two ago. I didn't get to hear that yet. Oh, it was a good time. We had some margaritas. It was his birthday. It was when we get Tom rolling, it's a good time. (laughs) Oh boy. That sounds awesome. I just want to thank you, Amy. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the work you're doing is really just so important. It's, and, and we're just loving your podcast and Mm -hmm. everything you're putting out. And we feel so grateful that you're connecting your community to our community. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's what so much about this is about, um, is not just doing this personal work on our own, but saying we can be doing this communally. And there's so much value in that and so much opportunity in that, Mm -hmm. knowing that we're not alone in doing this work and struggling and in endeavoring to, to change up uh, our approach a little bit and our beliefs. So I just wanted to thank you for putting your work and perspective and experience out there and then sharing so many other, um, folks with your community. It's really cool. Thanks for the inspiration. Cause like I said, if I finding you was a total lifeline and it has been, Finding that community, I think, especially like, like Kelsey said, with the you know neurodivergent child, the strong-willed child, the sensitive child, I realized so much of that applies to me. I'm like, wow, I think I was this way too. And mm-hmm. it's been so cathartic to find community and not feel like something was wrong with me or something was wrong with my kid or what am I doing wrong? And you realize nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. And um, just being able to really reach out and find community with different people and in, in your community and um, it's just been so cathartic and, um, yeah, so I can't thank you enough too. I mean, really, truly, truly life-changing. Um, and then I know we talked about, um, in the show notes, we're going to put the strong willed guide, the mini guide. Um, so for those of you listening, if you're like, okay, this is amazing. What can I do right this second? Go to the show notes, click on that guide. You're going to get a little mini guide of mantras that can kind of get you through the day with your child that's testing all of your your sanity and your boundaries and just kind of, you know, channel some of those things to say, post it up around your house. I know that and I think one of the most wonderful things about upbringing is everything that you offer is beautiful. I mean, like it's like something that you truly could frame and put on your wall. So um, no shame in doing that. You know, put those up in your bedroom, look at them first thing when you're looking in the mirror and take a deep breath and get on with your day. And um, thank you so much for spending time and being on here. It, I can't tell you how excited I was to have you on the show. So this is going to be awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Amy, we'd love to come back sometime. This is so fun. Yes, please. I know. I, I feel like we're best friends. It's fine. It's totally fine. Okay, we totally are. <laughs>